Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening session of Sunday the 29th of March 2009, entitled Hope for the Broken, Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 46. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. In Matthew chapter 21, I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word beginning in verse 23. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching, and said, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? They reasoned within themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. He said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. And he went not. Whether of them twenty of his father, saying to him, The first. Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and led it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. When the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. They caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will not let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall tender him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. 
This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. When the chief priest and the Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Father, we thank you again this evening. We thank you, Lord, that we can be gathered in your house. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we can gather around it. We pray now, Lord, for the presence and power of your spirit because, Lord, we realize that it's only you that the Lord can take these words and uh, take, Lord, and use them to find a resting place in hearts. And you know the needs of each and every individual here this evening. And Father, you knew who would be here when you burdened us with this message. So we pray that you take and use it for your glory, for your honor. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Our thought as we began this morning was hope for the broken now, I'm not going to go back and read the other passages, but I would like to read the one from Philippians again in chapter 2. It is a familiar passage, but I think that it's vitally important in what we're looking at here in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And of course, we said as we looked at that passage this morning, two things to keep in mind as we look at our passage in Matthew. One, of course, is that Jesus Christ himself, he had to humble himself. He had to be broken for our sins. And of course, he was broken for our sins. But then God the Father exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. 
And I said that just as Jesus Christ had to be broken before he could be exalted, each and every one of us have to come to that point in our lives where we are broken. That's hard. Now, I just want to review a couple of things, but I really want us to focus in on this thought, which is a theme of this, hope for the broken. You see, the other thing that I said we need to keep in mind from that passage is that, yes, Jesus Christ was broken, and Jesus Christ was exalted and given a name which is above every name. And he says there, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. May I say to you again this evening, the question is not whether you will recognize Jesus for who he is. If you do not already recognize him for who he is, you will recognize him. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, really what it comes down to, if you haven't already, is what will it take? How will it happen? When will it come in your life? And that's very important. That's very important because there will come a point when everyone will confess who that he is. But the challenge is, what will it take for you to be broken to recognize and acknowledge and confess that before it's too late? While he is still available as your Savior rather than as your judge. Now, we won't go back, but we began this morning with looking at the fact that it was a question of position, a question of position. That's where this conversation started with these religious people, the chief priests, the elders. They're called the Pharisees later on in that, in that same passage because they really ask the question. They said, by what authority... Doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? Who do you think you are? What authority is it that you have to be doing the things that you are doing? To be forgiving people's sins? To be healing people? What authority are you here teaching these people in the temple, which is where they were? Under what authority? Do you do this? And of course, I remind you that it was an interesting answer that he gave them in verse 27. He told them, first of all, well, if you answer something for me, then I'll tell you. But they knew to answer, whatever they answered, they were going to be in trouble because the truth was that if they denied that John the Baptist's baptism, if they said it was from heaven, then they'd be admitting their own unbelief. But if they said it was from man, then they were going to have the mobs on them. So they basically said, well, <laughs> we don't know. We can't tell. And I like Jesus' answer. Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Now, he told them, I'm not going to tell you. Then he goes on in all of this passage that we've read, and I remind you that he was saying, how absurd is it <laughs> for you to ask such a question? You see, is the authority 
of Jesus in question in your life today? Have you acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord God Almighty? Have you accepted him as your only means of salvation? Can you affirm that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? You see, the first parable that he goes on and tells them about here, he really, as he points this out to them, he just tells them a simple, simple story. He tells them about a man that had two sons. And, of course, what, he, what we really see in this passage is in order to really answer the first one, he's telling them not only is it a question of position, but I said it's a quandary of penitence. It's a tricky thing. It's a sticky area. You know, what does repentance really mean? And this short story about these two sons, one of them, he just out blatantly disobeys, rebels. I'm not going to do it. But then he later regrets that, and he repents of it, and he goes out and he does do it. On the other hand, the, the other one all the right words, and he says, yes, I'll do it. Yes, sir. <laughs> he shows that respect with his, with his mouth, but then he doesn't do anything. And, of course, Jesus uses this. And he makes it very clear to these that he's talking to. It wasn't hard for them to answer which one of those two was right, but he makes it very clear. Those publicans, those harlots, they're going to get to the kingdom of God before you are. Why? Because of that thing called repentance. You see, in your life today, it is a question of position, of authority. Do you recognize Jesus Christ for who he is and what he's done. And repentance is not about just saying, I'm sorry, and using lip motion. It's about our actions. It's about a new direction. You see, they didn't just regret it, but they did something about it. And that's really what it's all about in our lives. That's what true repentance is all about. And that true repentance comes when, yes, first of all, in our hearts, we recognize, we regret what we've done wrong. You see, the publicans and the harlots, they've done all kinds of sins. But true repentance will turn you away from those sins. And guess what? The blood of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, is sufficient for whatever sins are in your life. But it takes true repentance. Then we moved on, and we, we said a number of things about that. But I really want us to focus back on this last point. You see, it's the question of position, the quandary of penitence, and thirdly, the quashing of pride. I'm convinced that one of the greatest barriers that most of us as human beings, hopefully we're all human beings here tonight, most of us have to overcome is this matter of pride. Now, we looked at the second parable there. We won't go back and, and read through all of that again, but we looked at it. We looked at the practical story, which was a very practical story in their days. But we looked at the spiritual aspect of that, of what that represents in the spiritual 
But as we look there this evening, I want to remind you that, of course, Jesus was making it very clear, especially when he asked them there in verse 42, did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And we look back in, in, in Psalm 118 where that was quoted from, but we also looked at other passages where that same thing was talked about. You know, I thought it was kind of funny. I began looking at different things on pride and this was written by that very famous person called Source Unknown. It says, God pickles the proud and preserves the foolish. And I like that. <laughs> he pickles the proud, but he preserves the foolish. You see, so many times we're just too proud to admit our sin, to admit that we don't have all of the answers. We find that there are many things. I remember reading the story of a United States Air Force plane that was flying over Alaska. And as they were flying over, the navigator got concerned because they were coming on the radio and they were telling him that he was off course. And they were coming back and they were telling him how many degrees and how many miles and all of this. And it was quite substantial distance. But he wouldn't believe it. He was absolutely convinced, there's no way I could be that wrong. There's no way in the world I could be that wrong. But in actual fact, he was that wrong. That airplane ended up going down, and it was something like minus 70-some degrees temperatures, and they hardly hit the ground before that they all froze to death, and it wasn't just him but his five crew members. Why? Because he was so convinced that he couldn't, possibly be wrong. The truth is, is one of the hard things for all of us is that we can all be wrong. And the thing is, is we know that sometimes you, you may not understand some of what some of the preachers are saying, especially when one's saying this and one's saying that. But I said to you this morning, there's one thing that you can't miss. That's understanding who Jesus is. You see, that's the fundamental starting point. We can have all kinds of questions. Do you remember the illustration that I gave you one time that I used with, with one of my own sons, and it kind of came because I don't know what it was with the boys, but most of the time the first real struggle that they had with their mathematics was when they hit algebra. And when they hit algebra, it was like, you know, boom, the brakes just come on, and it took a whole lot more working to be able to get through those things. And one of my own sons was asking me a deep theological question one time about God. And, and of course, it was one of these questions that uh, sometimes, you know, with all of our studying and all of our insight, we, we don't really have all of the answers because we don't have all of the knowledge of God. He's seen fit to let us in on, on the things that we, that we need to know. But if we knew everything he knew, then we'd be God as well, I guess. But we're not. But I explained this to him because so many times the problem is, is that we can't figure out this, that, something else in the Bible. Because we can't figure that out, we're way past the starting point. 
And I reminded him of his algebra book. I said, do you remember that out? Do you remember how even the very beginning of it looked really hard? But I said, what about when you looked way over there at the end? And, and I could remember, you know, that he'd looked over there, and these, these problems that looked like they just stretched all the way across the page, there's no way in the world you could ever do something like that. I said, well, the truth is, is that if you tried to start at the back of the book, not only would you have never gotten the answer to that, but you'd have never got the basics either. But the truth is, is you start at the beginning. And you build line upon line and precept upon precept. And it's amazing then by the time that you get to the end, of the end of the book, suddenly that problem doesn't look nearly as challenging as it did when you first looked at it. I remember the same thing. I mean, I guess one of the most simple things that you can build when you're in electronic engineering when I was studying is a simple superheterodyne receiver. You know what that is? It's about the simplest radio that you can build. It's called a superheterodyne receiver. And I remember, though, that, that the first time that they showed us this, this schematic with all these pictures and squiggly things and everything all over it, I said, you're going to build this, and it's going to work. And I thought they were crazy. You know, I didn't even know what all those squiggly things meant on there. But by the time you finished that course, you know, it was so simple in comparison to many of the other things that you had gone on to. And I'm saying, don't let Satan get a sidetrack because our pride a lot of times will not let us because we don't have all of the answers. We can't figure it out. Well, the truth is, I mean, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm, I'm 53 years old. And in that 53 years, I've been a Christian most of that time. And it's amazing. I was just talking the other day that, uh, that I needed to come up with some kind of a system because I've got filing drawers and I've got boxes and they're full of all these thousands of sermons because you've been preaching as long as I do. They just keep piling up and piling up and piling up and piling up. But the thing is, you know, there's still an awful lot of things that I don't know. <laughs> I told some of you one time that I remember when I first started preaching. And I wondered, well, you know, once you've preached through that, what are you going to do? You're going to go back and start repeating it? But you don't have to be preaching very long. So you start wondering, how in the world, if I live two lifetimes, how can I ever get through everything that's in there? And you know, that's an amazing thing. All of these years of preaching, of preparing sermons, and you know one of the amazing things? I can still go back to a passage just like the one that we're looking at today. I can go back and I can look at that passage, and I've read it, and I've preached from it, and different things all over the years. And yet I go back and God begins to speak to me and I begin to see something different. And before you know it, I can stay up day and night and everything else on the same passage that I've read so many times before. Most of you, like me, probably have a fair number of books in your libraries. You take and you read those books and you might read through them a second time, a third time. There comes a point when you, you know, you, you don't just keep reading the same book over and over and over and over again because you've got what's in it. And yet with God's Word, we can read it over and over for a lifetime, and it's never exhausted. There's always something fresh. You know, one of the things that I begin praying for, I mean, tomorrow, for next week, I'll be praying for God to give me something fresh for you for next week something that he can burn into my heart, something that he can speak to me so that when I get in this pulpit, he can use it to speak something to you that will accomplish something. 
I have no idea. I can look at every one of your faces out there. I have no idea. There's not any one of you. Now, I would expect most of you to be here next week, but there's not any one of you that I know for sure will be here next week. As a matter of fact, we probably will never in our lifetime be gathered together exactly like we are here tonight. And yet I pray earnestly because I know God knows exactly who will be here next Sunday morning. God knows exactly who will be here next Sunday evening. God knew exactly who would be here this evening when he spoke to me and burned this message into my heart, which is not what I'd been studying all week. My intentions for today was to start back and, and rework and go back through the series that I did. Oh, I don't know. Matter of fact, I think I was doing it when Peter and Diane first arrived here on contending for the faith. Because there's so many, so many doctrines in there that, that need to be covered, that we need to understand, that we need to recognize, and we need to understand the importance of standing strong and standing firm on those things. But God directed me to this passage for a reason, and I knew it. And even though the other message had been reworked and prepared, I had to start over again. But you see, God knows those things. God knows what we don't. And the amazing thing is, is that it never, ever, ever runs dry. But our pride can, can get in the way. Benjamin Franklin said, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. <laughs> and they say that's the thing with humility. As soon as you recognize you got it, you just lost it, right? <laughs> but pride. And that's exactly what, you know, Jesus is trying to drum that into these people here. Their pride. You know, they were educated, not just in the things of the world, they were educated in the things of God. They were educated in the Old Testament. They knew all of the religious things. And yet, and yet, we find that he told them he'd kept sending his servants to warn them, to call them to God. They would destroy them. They'd kick them out over and over. Finally, he sends his own son, and they kill him as well. The truth is, is that each and every one of us have to deal with this matter of pride. Now, I'm not going to go back and reread all that we looked at this morning, but we find that in verse 44, we'll look for just a few moments. I told you I'd be short, and I'm going to try. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Now, that's a sobering thought. You know, you really stay, stop and look at the two choices you got there. You can either be broken or you can be ground to powder. <laughs> Which one do you want? <laughs> How many of you go around looking, desiring to be broken? Most of us don't. That's because of that Pride that's within us. We don't want to be broken. We don't want to be humiliated. We don't want to be humbled. 
And that's why so many times having to come to that point of recognizing Jesus Christ for who he is, having to be accountable to someone else for our sins, having to admit that we can't do it ourselves. It is all of God. It is all of grace. But I personally, myself, have got to humble myself because I've got no other grounds to go to God except his mercy. I can only cry out for mercy, and it's only his grace that is going to accomplish the work in my life. You see, if you reject Jesus Christ, you lose. It's that simple. You lose big time. Matter of fact, you lose for all of eternity. I said, you might misunderstand me. You might misunderstand men's messages, but don't misunderstand Jesus Christ. Don't misunderstand that. If you, you understand who he is and what he's done for you, you might be asking the same question that these were in this account here. By what authority? By what authority? And this man, I mean, most people would not go as far as to deny that a man walked this earth and his name was Jesus. Most, even, even, even an atheist, most of them would admit that not only did Jesus walk, but that Jesus died a horrible death, that he was crucified. It's a fact of history. But the problem comes in is recognizing who that Jesus was. Who gave him the authority? to forgive sin. Who gave him that authority? Well, Jesus really might be saying the same thing to you that he said to these men here. Believe the Scriptures. <laughs> Have you not read the Scriptures? Well, you know, it's tough, and I admit it. It's tough that if you don't believe this book came from God, then it's tough to really understand the things of God but he says, believe the Scriptures. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You know, you, the world, there's nothing in the world, there is nothing out there that can give you the faith in God except God's Word. That's the only place we find that maybe he's saying to you, believe the Scriptures. Maybe he's saying to you, as he said to them, believe my servants. I've been sending my servants to you, and all you've been doing is destroying them, putting them aside, not believing them. Believe my scriptures. Believe my servant. Believe my spirit. We said this morning, that's the only thing. That's the only thing that can make that servant or that scripture real in your life is the Holy Spirit of God. Most of us like to stand tall and proud, don't we? We like to feel like that we're self-sufficient. We can take care of ourselves. We can do the things that we need to do. And, and you know, to, to a certain degree, we, we need to have some confidence. But we have to be very careful where we place that confidence. We find that the truth is, is that if this stone, 
which is Jesus Christ. We looked at those passages this morning. If this stone causes you to stumble, if this stone causes you to fall, guess what? That's probably the greatest thing that's ever happened to you in your life. Because he says, if you fall on that stone, you're going to be broken. But if the stone falls on you, you're going to be ground to powder. Now, I know that doesn't sound like two choices that we ready and willingly want to make. But we don't want to be ground to powder. I can assure you. And as we said this morning, look with me again, if you would, into James chapter 4. And verse 6, James chapter 4 and verse 6, but he giveth more grace. Use some of that. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure your Bible probably reads the same as mine. I hope it does when it says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Grace is the only way that we can be saved, and faith is the only avenue to get there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Why? Lest any man should boast. <laughs> we can't take the credit for you. But the Bible says here, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. You see, pride. God cannot with proud people. God works with broken people. Mark chapter 2 and verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, the truth is, until we recognize that we need a doctor, that something is wrong, then we can't get fixed. Jesus can't do anything with the righteous, with the proud, with those that feel that everything is okay and right just as it is. He came to bring sinners, that thing we just talked about, repentance. To bring sinners to repentance. Do you know that pride is just part of all of us? But spiritually, that pride must be broken. If we're to humble ourselves before God, that pride must be broken. Even as Christians, if we are to yield ourselves to God, I mean, you can't give somebody else complete control of your life if you're still holding on with that proud idea that you're going to do it all your way, that you've got it all figured out. You see, it's tough to get self out of the way. 
Nobody will ever give you a bigger battle than you. It's tough. We find that pride comes naturally. But it's because of that pride that it causes us to reject God. Reject submissiveness of being willing to submit ourselves to his lordship. To reject obedience. Being willing to follow someone else's orders. Isn't that what the son, they were told to do something. One spoke with his mouth, yes, sir, I'll do that. But the other one, even though he didn't start out with the right attitude, he repented and he went and did it. See, the question is a question of position. The quandary is one of penitence. Is it true repentance? And the quashing of this pride is one of the hardest things that you'll ever do. Look with me in Psalm 73. We'll give you just a couple of passages, and I'll let you go this evening. Psalm 73. Notice what it says in verse 6. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, as a chain. Have you ever been tied up? <laughs> I know that I've never been tied up for real. I've never had anybody viciously, maliciously tie me up so that I couldn't get away. But I remember as, as kids, my brothers and I used to tie each other up. We'd get the rope, we'd wrap it round and round each other and tie each other up as tight as we could and uh, See who could tie the best knots and who could break free and who couldn't break free. Of course, once you got somebody tied up, boy, you could do all kinds of things. They couldn't do anything. Then you could push them, you could drag them, you could put them anywhere. But he's saying that that's that pride binds us. It binds us up like, like chains. And, of course, the bad thing is when we're bound up, then even when we know what we should do, we can't do it. We find that also in Proverbs 16, 18, he tells us something else that, that pride does for us. Proverbs chapter 16, and verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. Pride, haughty spirit, <laughs> they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? You see, pride will bind you up. Pride will destroy you. And I'm asking you really a difficult question today. Would you rather be broken or would you rather be ground up into powder? See, I'm not saying that to be mean, I'm, I'm just saying I know that God doesn't want you to be ground into powder. What he's trying to say is he would much rather you fall upon that rock and be broken so that you could have life eternal rather than one day for that stone to have to fall upon you as your judge and you be crushed because you got no other option. You've got nowhere 
else to go. Pride will bind you up. Pride will destroy you. Pride's got to be broken. We find that it's really a question of position. Will you accept and acknowledge Jesus Christ for who he is? Will you humble yourself and confess him as the Lord in your life? You'll never, ever, ever, you'll never, ever be able to enjoy the kingdom of God until you come to accept Jesus Christ for who he is. It's not about religion. And, and, and you know, I know as much as anybody. I know somebody was talking to me this week, and I, and, and I thought, you know, how confusing must it, must it be, Brother Edward, for somebody out there in the world that's looking for the truth. And they've got all these people saying all these different things. I've, I've said it here before, and I say it again. I'm totally convinced that the greatest tool that Satan has in his arsenal, one of the most effective tools that he has, is religion itself. So many people. Do you remember some time back when we preached a sermon on true saving faith and we, we looked at the narrow way and the broad way? We looked at that straight gate. We find that the truth is all those people thought they were okay. That broad way is not people that thought they were going to hell. There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is destruction. Destruction. Boy, when you're looking, and that's why. And I, and I know, and, and everybody's saying, well, you know, we've got the answers and we've got it right and we do it right. And I say time and time again, I can be wrong, believe it or not. <laughs> I know that's hard to believe. I, I can. I, I'm, I'm almost sure I was at least one time in my life. <laughs> Any of us can be wrong. Any church can be wrong. Now, I've said this before too. If I thought there was one of those other churches that was closer to the New Testament church that I can read about in the Word of God, that's where I'd be. That's where I'd be. I'm not here because I think that we're perfect and that we've got all the answers. I'm here because what I've tried to do from this pulpit for the last 20 years in this church is to point you to God's Word. Don't take my word for it. Get in the Word of God. Search the Scriptures. Know the Scriptures. That's why I want to I take you through this series on contending for them. There's some things that's worth fighting for. There's things that are worth dying for. There's things that you just can't give up on. You find that tonight, truth is, it is a question of position, who Jesus is. It is a quandary of penitence. You see, it takes true repentance. There's no other way. You accept Jesus Christ for who he is, and you're willing to let go of that sin. Nobody said it'd be easy. Matter of fact, it's 
pretty hard sometimes, isn't it? Anybody here, after you got saved, somehow you picked up one of those sins again? Truth is, it can be real hard sometimes, but it's real simple. You turn away from that sin. You let go of it. You give your life to Him. You've recognized Him for who He is. There is only one person that can change the direction that your life is going in. And one of your biggest obstacles to be able to do that is the quashing of your pride. Being willing to admit that you have to go before a holy God, the one that's responsible for us being here as a sinner, and ask his forgiveness. You ever had to go to another person and ask their forgiveness? A lot of times you've got to swallow some pride just to do that, don't you? To go before a holy God. It takes swallowing some pride. And I just want to encourage you this evening. You're not dealing with anything that this preacher or anybody else. I was, I was reminded of something that I recently said, that the only difference between a sinner and a saint is God's grace. That's the only difference, folks. God's grace. Not because we got all the answers. Not because we suddenly started doing everything right. We recognize our sinfulness. We turned and went. We didn't just talk. We didn't just say, I'm sorry, and keep going the same way. No, we said, I'm sorry. We asked for forgiveness. We went in another direction. Quashing that pride is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. We've all got it, and guess what? When you quash it, it'll raise its head back up. You quash it, and it'll raise its head back up. It's something that we have to continually, all of our lives, we have to work on. We have to admit we don't have all the answers. But yet, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed to stand and tell you I don't have all the answers. But I know where they are. <laughs> I know where they're at. I know where we can go and get them. And that's why if we go back to this book, go back to the book. You know, the, the truth is, I don't, I don't want anybody doing things and living their life just because the independent fundamental Baptists say that's the way to do it. If you're a part of an independent fundamental Baptist church, then I hope it's because you're already convicted in your heart and your soul and your mind and your very being of the Word of God. And it just happens that this church is the closest to that book that you can find with all of our imperfections. You see, that's what you've got to go by. That's what you're going to be judged by, not what I told you, not what the church says, but what God says. Father, I thank you this evening, Lord, as we look at this, Lord, the truth is, Lord, we said that our theme, our title for this day Lord, that there's hope for the broken. Lord, that's the only place there's any hope. Lord, I pray that though it's not something that we 
cherish and look forward to being broken. Father, we realize that we must be broken in order to have a hope, a hope of eternity. And Lord, I pray this evening, I pray that there are those in this congregation this evening that don't know Jesus Christ. Lord, I know it can be daunting. I know that there's so many things. That, Father, I pray earnestly, not because that there's anything great within me, not because that my prayers are any more powerful than anybody else's. Lord, I pray because those that are here tonight that have never been saved, Lord, they're in the greatest need. And Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts, that you would show them, that you would help them, Lord. And Father, that if it's that pride that's standing between them and acknowledging Jesus Christ for who he is and what he's done, and repenting and turning their lives from a world of sin to committing their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I pray that you'd help to quash that pride that's in their lives that's keeping them from being able to do that. And Father, I pray for each and every believer here this evening, including this pastor, Lord, that you would help us because pride will bind us up. Pride will destroy us. We can look at other passages, Lord. Pride will destroy our homes. Pride will bring so much harm. But, Lord, help us to be a broken people, broken for you, broken in the sense that we realize, Lord, that all of our strength, all of our power is in Jesus Christ. We're, we recognize that our flesh is so incapable, and yet in Christ we are far more capable than anything that we could ever accomplish in this life in ourselves. So I pray, Lord, that you'd help us as Christians keep that pride quashed. Help us to be a humble people. Help us to be a people that is completely yielded to you, that is obedient to you. Not like these that we see in these parables, but help us, Father. Help us to be a people that you can take and use for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.